Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the rules of investing. In the last episode, we spoke about different investments. Well, now that you understand what you can invest in, let's actually talk about, okay, what are the rules of investing and how that applies to uh, what you're going to do? Yes. What are some of the basic ways that we actually then take the tools that we learned about last time and build out a portfolio? So there's four rules and for the most part, most people do not follow them. And most people at at least a basic level understand them or have heard of them before. So let's dive right in here, Alex. So rule number one, right? So rule number one is own stocks and manage risk with fixed income. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is whether it's owning individual stocks or owning the the stocks through a bundled product like a mutual fund or an ETF or a, a managed account, we want the the stocks to be the engine in our car pushing us forward. That's where we're going to to receive return from the portfolio. And the fixed income side is what mitigates the risk of maybe going too fast in the car. Correct. A lot of people try to actually use this as a, a, a way to enhance the return. And, and we don't look at it from that standpoint. We're purely looking at it as a defensive mechanism, as a way to to give ourselves a different, a different profile than stocks. And the more return that we try and generate from a fixed income portfolio, the more similar the, the fixed income component looks and acts towards uh, a stock-based portfolio, which is not what we're looking for. Yeah, look at it this way, right? So you've got, if you have a 50-50 portfolio, meaning 50% of your investment is in stocks and the other 50% is in fixed income or bonds. If 50% is in stocks, right? That's the engine. That's the rate of return that we're trying to get. The fixed income, right? Or the bonds, that's, that's where we're mitigating risk. And if we're actually trying to get return with those bonds, you really don't have a 50-50 allocation from the standpoint of risk. You've got a much higher a more aggressive allocation from risk, even though it says 50-50 and most people will go, oh, well, that means you're balanced. If you're chasing return in the bonds, you're not balanced. Yeah. Well, and the the other component to that is that the, the more return that you're chasing in the bonds, the more similar the, the overall, like the more similar that reaction is going to be to market type forces as compared with stocks. When we take high yield or high risk bonds into example, they tend to do better when the economy does well. Well, that's the exact same time frame that stocks do well is when the economy is doing well, um, or, or typically anyway. And so when we reduce down the differences between how our fixed income portfolio and our stock portfolio interact, we wind up with a higher correlation and that winds up negating some of the risk mitigation that we're looking for in the fixed income portfolio. 
Yeah. So, you know, this, I mean, rule number one, right? This, this rule is broken all the time, just from the standpoint of if fixed income is the management of risk. Okay. Did you really do that? Right. Which takes us to step two, which is diversify. So why don't we start with defining uh, diversify or diversification for them, Alex? Sure. So diversification is owning a bunch of different investments that will have dissimilar ways of moving. And so it, it is, is trying to eliminate as much risk as we can for a single company. And so there, there's a couple different levels of diversification. So for example, if we invest in just one stock, Amazon, for example, okay, now we are subject to not only the market forces, but also the risks that are brought on by that one company. And we also get the same, it's a, a double-edged sword, right? We don't just get to uh, deal with the risks, but we also get the benefits of the returns of that one stock. And you know, looking back over the last five, 10 years, wow, that has been absolutely phenomenal. However, the amount of risk that we've taken to get there is tremendous. Yeah, to take that one step further, people may invest in Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and they would say, "Well, look, I'm not. I'm I'm diversified because I'm not. All of my money is not in one company." And in that statement, they're 100 true. Not all of their money is in one company. However, all of their money is in one sector. Right? A, they're all large U.S. companies. Mm-hmm. B, they're all tech companies. Correct. And so like that that talks into or speaks to the that the layers of diversification that I was talking about, where the first thing that we're taking a look at is just on a company level. Then we're talking next in terms of like sectors. And uh, akin to that would be the overall asset allocation. Like you mentioned, large it being a large company. Um companies with similar profiles, meaning large companies, uh, which are companies that are $10 billion in value and over. Um, then there's mid-sized companies, which are between valued between 2 billion and 10 billion. And then small companies that are under $2 billion in value. Um, a lot of us may not necessarily consider that a small company. Um, $2 billion in value is, is still sizable. It's not as though we're talking about, you know, the restaurant down the street or something of that nature. We're we're still talking about a sizable enterprise, um, but at the same time, those companies behave differently given the same market conditions. Yeah. So where do people mess up this rule, right? Well, Alex and I look at portfolios all day long, and almost every time, especially right now, we see forty, fifty or more percent all in one asset category, that being large U.S. companies? One, oftentimes we'll see um, a, a huge percentage in a company that somebody works for. Mm, yeah, right. Like the other day, I was looking at someone who worked for Microsoft. Uh, he owned Microsoft stock. He also owned these other mutual funds. But what do you think those mutual funds were investing in as well? A good portion of it was Microsoft stock. <laughs> Microsoft stock. So when I showed him like, hey, by the way, this is how much, this is the percentage of your net worth 
that is invested all in Microsoft, including your income. He knew it was higher. He didn't realize it was that high. Yeah. When like you become that incredibly dependent upon one company and it, it starts, like it, it's just not prudent to put all of your eggs or that many of your eggs in one basket. It doesn't say we don't want to own Microsoft. Um, in that hypothetical example, we absolutely want to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We also just want to make sure that all of our income and a sizable chunk of our net worth is not tied to one particular company as good or wonderful as that company may or may not be. Yeah. Because while it, while it's going good, it's, it's, it's gravy, right? It's awesome. The problem is, is when it's going down, how much of your portfolio is also going to go down and will it go down at the wrong time? Yeah. I mean, if you, heaven forbid, you wind up getting fired from Microsoft um, in in that hypothetical, now your income's down. And at that same time, chances are, if if you got laid off or fired from Microsoft, things aren't going awesome for Microsoft. And so if you have a double whammy of losing your income and losing value in your investments at the same time, it can be quite painful. Um, and this g- speaks to some of the diversification and some of the reason why we manage risk with fixed income and have emergency reserves and some of the other financial planning concepts that you and I have talked about already. Not yeah, you'll in the podcast, see, but in other ones. You'll see how these rules kind of, they they piggyback up on, on one another and it'll end on the, the big one, which we'll get to here, here in a second. So rule number three here, Alex, is, is rebalancing, which I don't think, I think people have heard of it. I don't think they truly understand what rebalancing means. Sure. Let's go back to the portfolio that you were just describing a few minutes ago that was 50% stocks and 50% bonds. If we invest in that today, and just never touch it, over time, we would anticipate that the stocks are going to do better over time. They have historically. It doesn't mean that they're always going to, and certainly not in any given year. Um, But over time, 10, 15, 20 years, we would anticipate or expect the stocks to outperform the bonds. And if we don't put any extra dollars into the portfolio and we don't rebalance, what originally started out as 50-50 might end up at, say, 75-25. And now we're taking dramatically more risk as we've gotten closer to using those, those dollars, that money. And so we're taking more risk at a time when the market has increased in value that may not be, and in fact, I would submit it almost certainly isn't, what we want to actually have occur. We don't want to take more risk when there is more risk in the market. And we don't want to take more risk as we're getting closer and closer to needing that money. Well, there was a reason you chose 50-50 allocation to begin with, right? So that that's a that's a big issue. Right. And this happens naturally, right? Like Alex just talked about stocks. Let's just talk about the last decade with the SP 500, right? If 50% of your stocks were all in the SP 500 and you had the other 50% in bonds, what did that do? Well, the S&P the last decade has crushed it, right? Now, what's it going to do the next decade? We don't know. But the point of the matter is, is your portfolio in that analogy would be crazy riskier than what you originally had planned. If we're not rebalancing it or managing it on an ongoing basis. Correct. Uh, and the same thing goes for when like you and I were, like, we were just talking about it from a generic standpoint of stocks versus bonds. 
we once we dive into it and take a look at like, okay, what are the underlying holdings inside of stocks? You mentioned the S&P 500, but okay, in that 50% that's stocks, let's say that it's not all in the S&P 500. Like, how do we that like we want to rebalance between domestic and international, between large companies and small companies, between companies that are built on value and companies that are built on growth. So the, there's a whole bunch of different diversification that needs to occur, as well as a bunch of different rebalancing that occurs. We want we were building portfolios with intention of the profile that we want to have. And therefore, when changes occur, and and that's really the only constant, right? We're going to have change. We may or may not know what that's going to be. I would submit that we don't know what that change is going to be because it's largely going to be based on the news of tomorrow. Yep. Therefore, we need to make sure that we get back to whatever our original mix is periodically. So- all three of these rules so far, right? Owning stocks, managing risk with fix, fixed income, diversification, rebalancing, all leads to number four, which is the big one that is the most difficult to follow. And that's just behave, right? The market's going to go up and down. We are human beings. Even Alex and I are human beings. I know that's crazy to think, but we actually are. Emotions kick in. Right, last April when the market had that nosedive, that freaked a bunch of people out. I mean, frankly, Alex and I were like, "Oh crap, what's going on?" Right, and so you have to look at that and, and behave, right? And this behavior with each of these rules, this isn't just always the market volatility, right? It's actually following the, these rules. It's having that habit of of following them. So. Just thinking of an example of, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm in my 30s. Um, I'm, 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 I haven't touched my money. When, when the market crashed in 08, I didn't touch it. I, I behaved. What other behavior pieces fell in? Did they actually do that? Did, they just didn't even realize it because they took this one definition of behaving and applied it to what they did, Alex. Right. For example, have we shifted our allocation over the last decade so that we're just investing in the S&P 500 because it's done really well of late. What the previous decade is called the lost decade because the S&P 500 wound up being flat or down depending upon how you're defining decade. Well, if we invested in small and international and, and things of that nature, we actually had growth during you know, 2000 through 2010. And it wasn't all doom and gloom. And so it's one of those things where we don't want to chase returns and invest in whatever is hot because inevitably we're going to wind up having missed out on a bunch of the returns. And by chasing returns, we typically wind up doing worse for a multitude of reasons. And it's human nature to do that, right? When you're, when you first open up a retirement account or first start your investment account, you typically going to go look at, okay, what's the history of this fund or this stock, right? So you're building this out and you chose what you chose. And then you have, you see what the S and P 500 is doing, or you see what Amazon is doing, right? And you're going to go, oh, maybe I'll throw some money over in that direction. 
right? That's misbehaving. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the four most dangerous words or five, depending upon how you word it on Wall Street are, it's different this time. Yep. And so you have to have that long-term viewpoint when you are investing and it's difficult, right? Because I'm 40, right? I still have a lot of years left in my life, I hope. Even when I retire, I'm still going to need to behave and I still might, you know, contrary to popular belief, be emotional. You can hear the emotion in my voice right now, right? <laughs> so this, this goes across not just investments, but just money, life in general. And, and it's difficult. And having someone to, to talk to, having an accountability partner, if you want to go that route, having a, a professional in your life is huge to help that. That's a huge area of value that I think Alex and I bring uh, from, from that area. Because I get phone calls all the time saying, Ryan, X stock or Ryan the S and P is going crazy or Ryan, what's happening? You know, should I, should I be redoing it? And what should I be doing here? Right. That's, that's behavior kicking in. Well, and it, it's, it's also, you know, the emotions that are spun up by uh, the talking heads and media and news. It's really actually not too dissimilar from, from you guys. Um, I mean, as a, as a general rule, we kind of know as a society, what we need to do to, be healthy. We need to exercise or move more. We need to eat less. We need to eat the right things. We need to treat ourselves with respect. And yet (laughs) as a society, we don't do those things. It's not that it's challenging rules to understand. The most challenging of those things is to make sure that we're behaving on a regular basis. Like last night I ate a bunch of Sour Patch gummy bears. Like I knew that that was bad for me, but man, it tasted good. Those are so delicious. I love gummy <laughs> bears. Yeah, it it's hard, right? That was a great, great analogy, Alex, in terms of like from a health perspective, I think most of us actually know what to do. Obviously, all of us have different intricacies that we may have to worry about, different, you know, what we're allergic to and whatnot, what what interacts with our body the best. But in the end, we all know we should exercise. Like you just said, we all know we should sleep better. We all know these things, yet we don't do it. The same thing is true in finances. Well, and it, the, the, there's a level of complexity as well, right? Like digging into like the details of like, Hey, what supplements should we be taking? Or how do we increase um, vitality or the nutrients or the, the, the various, the vitamins, the various different things that, that we need in our body there's an entirely different level of complexity that you guys deal with. It's, it's the same for us. There's an entirely different level of complexity um, inside of building out somebody's portfolio. And it's important to be able to articulate it and understand it. And what's really more important is that you as the physician understand the details and are able to communicate to your patient, Hey, these are the things that you need to do. Same thing for us. Like, I don't need to know how the vitamin D or whatnot is absorbed into my body. I need to be able to get from, from my, my physician. Okay. Hey, I need to be taking more vitamin D and I need to make sure that I'm taking other things along with it to make sure it's absorbed properly. I don't need to know how that process occurs. Yep. Same thing in finance. So that's the four rules of investing. As we said, when we started it, 
many people know it. It seems simple, yet most people don't follow it. So we hope this episode is valuable for you, which takes us to the question of the day, Mr. Collins. Yeah. Our question today was, what was your aha moment in learning about the rules of investing? So head over to holistic-finance.com and at the bottom of that page, there is a spot if you would like to engage with us there. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us um, uh, there as well. We hope this episode was valuable and you have some actionable takeaways. And as always, Mr. Collins, make it a great day. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California, 91711. Telephone 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burke, Lohair Insurance License.